I'm Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Brian Fahey, Chief Executive Officer of My Compliance Office, a Dublin headquartered regtech and authority on conduct risk in capital markets. My Compliance Office has a SaaS technology platform and covers all of the issues pertaining to conduct risk. So let's start for those people who don't know what is conduct risk. So conduct risk fundamentally is the risk of misconduct in an organization. So misconduct being the you know the conflicts that can occur between some of these personal goals and the company's goals. You know when they are approaching and taking misconduct to uh, an extreme that impacts the company and the policies that they have created, that is the risk of misconduct for the organization. We're talking about things like conflicts of interest, employee personal relationships, but that makes a company sound like it's big brother if it's peering over people's shoulders into their personal relationships. Well, unfortunately for many firms, they feel they do need to you know, create policies and procedures that are monitoring the activities. Uh, fundamentally, you know, the goal and the, the ideal goal would be that you would have a culture where there is no need for uh, having a monitoring or surveillance around those. But the reality in today's financial services world is the expectations from a regulator that uh, certainly you are monitoring and surveilling what's going on in your organization for potential areas of misconduct. You are also expected to be validating and verifying that the policies and procedures that you have in place to prevent misconduct are occurring. And these activities are things like, as I said, you know, looking at what employees are doing personally and ensuring that there aren't conflicts with what the company is doing. So examples, of course, like personal training, gifts, um, outside business activities. These are very common terms in the in monitoring of employees' personal own conduct to ensure that they aren't in conflict with the transactions of the firm itself. So the real key issue at the end of the day is whether it's you know on, whether it's on purpose or inadvertently identifying those conflicts of interest and then taking action to mitigate against their impact. So sometimes they will happen inadvertently. And sometimes you're looking at them in advance of doing a particular transaction to ensure there aren't potential conflicts. Uh, But also, it is looking for the potential bad actors that might be out there and having systems that will surveil that and ensure that there is, for some of those folks who might be bad actors, that there is surveillance going on around those and that they should not and hope they do not feel comfortable that they're in a company that can allow that activity, you know, because of the reputational damage that it will do to the company itself. Well, let's talk, first of all, about something that is very old. And I'm talking about insider trading. How is this still going on with all the systems you that are in place to cover what people are getting up to in a business? How is insider trading still a thing? Well, there's only so much, of course, that surveillance and technology can do for when a person is doing some activity outside the company. So in the case of personal trading activities, you can certainly uh, have policies, procedures, requirements, reporting, all of on them. But because insider trading is so tempting for individuals in terms that might be 
motivated by the returns that they can get from it, you know, they will seek to do other ways of conducting insider trading, such as, you know, asking a spouse, a partner, uh, uh, somebody that they know to trade on their behalf and become into some arrangement around it. So they can create accounts that they may, may not declare to their company. So there are various ways a company, an individual can actually conduct and gain benefit from knowing inside information and profiting from it that the company doesn't necessarily know. I think one of the things that has definitely changed in the last number of years, and I'd say maybe three to five years is the timeline, is the regulators have employed technology themselves based on all the information they get from the exchanges. And they are using some very intense technology to do their own checking. And I think it's become much more difficult for individuals to find ways to do insider trading than they used to. At the same time, the individual companies are still required to do their own monitoring themselves. But a technology has played a big part with big data, absorbing large amounts of transactional data around the world and seeing what transactions occurred before and after some major events for a company. It is certainly more sophisticated than it used to be in terms of surveillance, both by the regulators and by the companies themselves. That's insider trading. That's as old as the hills as far as the markets are concerned. Let's talk about something that's been created as a result of the advances in technology, and that's cryptocurrency and the challenges of crypto compliance. This is this is new territory to us. Yeah, I mean, the principles still apply. You know, is it a security? Is it just cash? When you talk about it being a security, do you have inside information about it? It's a very interesting area around crypto when you consider that it is a Many forms of it, and the more traditional, that's not really traditional, but the original forms of it are are based on things like Bitcoins and Ethereums and, you know, the generation through technology of value of these elements. There isn't actually that much inside information that can occur with the core original cryptocurrencies. Now, when you're getting into a lot more tokenization and a lot more, um, I suppose, marketing then of those tokens, and considering whether securities or not, is there an appropriate inside information around those activities? So that's where it gets a lot grayer at this point in time, because you know it's got the same traditional elements of a security and being marketed, and if there is inside information about those tokens. Are financial institutions at all ready to tackle this issue with digital assets? Well, that's a really broad question. I'm sure they're going to, they are working very, very diligently at the opportunity. I mean, you know, the real question I think that everybody's waiting on is what do the regulators going to do about, you know, about these assets and where will the line fall between calling it a security or not? And when it's a security, then monitoring it for all the same current capabilities that they have for monitoring securities. It's Still a gray area. I think what you're finding, though, is some firms that are really trying to stay uh, very close to the, uh, you know, calling it a security and treating it as securities around some of these various crypto tokens and uh, creating a more brand name for themselves and creating a long term business out of it. And then there are, I suppose, broad number of the rest which are waiting to know what's happening and trying to make money in the meantime. And that's a, the basic problem of discussing this in any sensible forms. We just don't know what the regulators are going to do yet, or do we? 
No, I don't think we do. I certainly think that my personal opinion from going to conferences and listening to regulators speak is they are certainly want to regulate them. And when you look back to their own purpose and goals is to protect investors, you know, they are very keen to do that. I mean, obviously, there has been a, many people, uh, you know, who've lost money from these types of assets, and some of them are smaller and retail, and maybe they shouldn't have been in those assets in the first place. And I think regulators would be very keen to protect the industry and protect those investors, particularly those more vulnerable ones. So a personal opinion would be that, you know, from what I hear, they would be keen to be able to regulate the industry, but they're not quite sure yet how best to do that and how well it's going to survive some legal challenges as they do that. The technology is basically running ahead of the regulatory framework. Yes, it is. And in general, financial services products are always running ahead of the regulatory framework. I think that's gone on for decades of years or hundreds of years, probably. You know, I mean, it's the nature of the size of the industry, the potential returns in the industry that will always make the regulators chasing behind the new, the creativity of various financial products that created. All right, let's turn back the focus now onto my compliance office itself. I mentioned early on, you have the MCO SaaS technology platform. What does it actually do? What are you actually offering? A key for what we really do is a fully integrated platform around conduct risk. And for us, there are three main areas for conduct risk to be monitored by organizations. Obviously, it's what the employees are doing, what they're own they're doing themselves in terms of um, whether it's trading assets, whether it's investment banking, any kinds of capital markets activities in particular that would create conflicts, potential conflicts. And then finally, the last part is, you know, who are they investing in? Uh, the third parties that they do business with, that they invest in. And it's really the aggregate of those three, those three data sets together and looking for potential conflicts. I think one of the main areas of change is historically people looked at this in terms of personal trading and insider trading, and they maintained lists of securities that people could not trade. But as the industry has evolved over the last 10 to 15 years, you know, there is a much more expectation of monitoring things like gifts, outside business activities. There's obviously, you know, third-party surveillance as well. You're looking at uh, vendor risk. You're looking at cybersecurity risk. And then you have the traditional forms of investment banking conflicts. And as I said, the various kinds of new products that exist across financial services. So again, it's back down to what the employees are doing, what the transactions and activities that the firm itself is doing in its financial services product sets, and then who they are investing with, who their customers are, and the third parties that they're engaging with outside their organization themselves. So the conduct risk comes in the mixture of those three. In other words, what the employee is doing versus what the firm is doing, but also you get into what third parties are doing on behalf of the company, whether it be intermediaries, whether it be maybe perhaps lobbyists in the case of any corruption, any bribery, but it also means who are your actual clients that you're investing on behalf of or providing financial products on behalf of. And today's world of reputational risk Obviously, you get into all areas of sanctions here as well. You know, you get into the ESG world, 
and what kind of, I suppose, a pro, you know, where are they on the ESG plane, if you like, and are they people that you want to do business with that could impact your reputation overall? So the conduct of those third parties that are your investors, the employees and what they are doing, and then your own activities and choices. And all of this comes down to conduct risk in the interaction of those. So my compliance office, in summary, is monitoring those three areas in a single integrated platform for financial services firms. Brian Fahey, Chief Executive Officer of My Compliance Office, thank you very much.